What is up? You're listening to Cheers to Beers. I'm your host, Jess Kellerpool. A little later, I'm going to be joined by my co-host, Shauna Corbier, to interview Barry Chan of Lucky Envelope as a part of a two-part series that we're doing on Kolsch and Kolsch-style ales sponsored by the Goethe Institute. Goethe Institute is a German cultural nonprofit that promotes the study of German language and supports international cultural exchange and relations. They have a pop-up here in Seattle and have done some really cool work with lager breweries around here. They hosted an art workshop on the Bauhaus movement of Germany and designers submitted can label designs for a Helles lager that was brewed at lowercase. So they do like fun cultural events like that, like streaming films and hosting art exhibits for queer folk and supporting small businesses and local breweries. So they're really rad. Check them out. Goethe Institute, that's spelled G-O-E-T-H-E Institute. So like I mentioned, this is an episode on Kolsch and Kolsch style ale. And so the first part of this series, we are kind of taking the American approach on it, which is funny. I know if uh, you're German from Germany, a German brewer, you're probably like, that doesn't make any sense. You can't make Kolsch unless you're in Cologne. Um, we we adapted over here in the U.S. and, you know, we appreciate the style. So we make our own, even though it's not technically Kolsch, we do call it Kolsch style ale. So we are going to be covering the newest collaboration from Lucky Envelope and Lowercase. They did a Kolsch style ale together. Um, so today we're interviewing Barry Chan of uh, Lucky Envelope. But if you want to hear more from John Marty, who's the head brewer at uh, Lowercase, you can listen to him on episode 41 when we talk about Iinger and Pilsner over there. So two really great dudes. And we had a really great time talking to Barry. So before we go like too deep into what this beer is and then get into the episode, I do want to actually define Kolsch. So Kolsch comes from Germany, Cologne, it's Riverside City, and it is the term Kolsch, like I said, is an appellation and appellation means that it can only be used in a certain context from a certain place. So another example of that would be like champagne. You technically can't have champagne unless it's from Champagne, France. So the invention of Kolsch came about basically as a response to the growing popularity of Pilsner and Lager in Germany. Brewers in Cologne were using top fermenting yeast, um, but then Pilsner's all the rage. So they decided to brew a light hoppy ale and lager it. So the result is an ale that has a bit more body, but it's very clean with a conditioned finish and mouthfeel. It's essentially a hybrid between a lager and an ale. And like I said, the style is an appellation, meaning that true Kolsch cannot be brewed anywhere else but Cologne. In 1986, the brewers of Cologne redefined what makes Kolsch a Kolsch, which includes it being light color, highly fermented, strongly hopped, bright, and top fermenting Volbeer. Volbeer, uh, it's, kind of, it's like a term that means full beer that goes back to like old German tax laws. Um, and then it must be poured into its cylindrical six ounce glass and of course, has to be brewed in Cologne. That's what defines Kolsch. So when we're talking about Kolsch throughout this episode, we're really talking about Kolsch style ale. So right now I am drinking the Kolsch style ale from Lucky Envelope in lowercase. And you guys, it is so good. <laughs> um, it's like you, you, what's interesting about Kolsch is there is some fruit, fruity esters that come through from the, from the yeast. 
but it can be a really hard balance. We talk about this in the episode that it's like finding that balance between giving a little bit of that for, uh, fruity brightness without it being like overwhelming and kind of turning it flabby. Um, that's not the case at all with this one that, um, the fruit flavor is kind of built through the hops, not necessarily the yeast esters, which keeps the beer super clean. And then the addition of some extra bittering hops, the boil tightens up this crispy finish, but you can still taste the cold yeast in the back end. They use two really cool hops. Um, one is Triumph, which is essentially a new world noble. It's a descendant of EKG, Brewer's Gold, Hellertown Middlefra, and, uh, and Nugget. So it's kind of like a, and it, it was bred in the U.S. So it's kind of like the U.S. take on a noble, and that has like a really great rounded full fruit flavor. The other hop that's being used is Grüngeist, which literally means green ghost. It's a German varietal that's similar to New World, like Yakima Valley hops. So while Triumph is a U.S. take on noble, Grüngeist is kind of like a German take on American. And the label incorporates this so well. So the design is based on the first Final Fantasy game on the NES. So the designer made the enemy a green ghost. Grungeist. It's so fun. It's the exact same font and format as the game when you're in battle. Also, side note, I keep on saying Mario 64 in this conversation when I really mean the OG NES Super Mario Bros. Like that 8-bit look design. Um, I promise I know what I'm talking about. So that's the beer. It's so good. Um, if you're in Seattle, make sure to go out and get it. You can get it at Lucky Envelope. You can get it at Lowercase. You can find it at local bottle shops like Bottleworks. Um, it's a really cool take on the style. I really enjoy it. Really enjoy talking to Barry. And of course, we love John. So if you like what you're hearing here and you're interested in hearing more, make sure to follow Seattle Beer School on Instagram at Seattle Beer School. Make sure to check out Goethe Institute on their Instagram and their website. Again, that's G-O-E-T-H-E. Thanks again to them for sponsoring this episode. And... You can follow me on Instagram at Just Just Beer. I do a decent amount of posting on there. You can also follow Shauna at a young Billy Crystal. Okay, so let's get into this episode. Uh, we are talking about the lack of good Kolsch-style beers in the U.S., using dry yeast in brewing, the process of forming a Kolsch-style recipe, and retro 80s video games. So grab a Kolsch or Kolsch-style ale and join us. Cheers. What are you drinking right now? Uh, This is... um. I, I went to pick up the beers from Lowercase, so they gave me a low fill of their Microfest beer. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's a 4.3% little little crispy guy. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty tasty. Digging it. I was at Slow Boat last night, and they had a cask on. It might have been the Fest beer. I actually don't know. I was just like, or uh, not cask, uh, Gravity Keg, essentially mm. the same thing. How are you, Barry? I'm doing well. Yeah, I was just uh, just telling Jess that we were we we're getting everything kind of knocked out of the way before the Craft Brewers Conference next week. So um, we've been busting our asses between that and Fresh Hop. So yeah, um, we got pedicures today to kind of cap off the the little the end of the week and um, yeah to get on the to do the podcast and to to pick up some of that Kolsch today from uh, from Lowercase was really fun. Dude, that label is amazing. <laughs> I'm so stoked on it. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump into it. Um, 
Kolsch style ale. That's the name of it, right? It's just the name. The style is the name. Correct. We didn't want to get too fancy with the name because we <laughs> that's fair. Where, <laughs> yeah, I, we we didn't really go too far in it, but then, um, yeah, Kolsch style ale. That's just what you what you have to put on on the label according to the TTB. Yeah, for sure. Um, so before we started the record, you mentioned that you're going to be doing a seminar at CBC, the Craft Brewers Conference. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It's a panel with uh, with Lucky Envelope, uh, with me, obviously, I guess, unless somebody else sneaks in there. Um, Will Kemper from Chuckanut. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're they're an obscure, <laughs> an obscure okay. lager brewery that, uh, you know, I think this stuff's okay. And then... Um, and then uh, Cody Reif, who's the uh, R&D innovations brewer at New Belgium. So the the talk is kind. Of, it's a it, the idea behind it was uh, to get breweries of different sizes and different uh, technology levels. Uh, obviously, New Belgium's the big national distributor, so they're doing distribution all throughout the country. So they have, you know, they have three systems. One's like a 150 barrel, one's a 100 barrel, and then they have an eight barrel pilot system. Um, so they're the large system and they kind of cover some of the interesting things that they had to do to make their, to, ch to put their loggers out. Uh, Chuckanut, they're doing their super precise high tech uh, steam fired system. And then there's, there's us who, uh, you know, we have a pretty, pretty common uh, brewing system that most breweries many breweries have um you know direct fire and uh we don't have the things like a cold liquor tank to to chill our our beer down so just talking about how our processes for lagers and uh we will uh kind of compare and contrast as much as we can within 45 minutes so that was kind of the that was a struggle that we came up against so um we just included like a five-page spreadsheet with like all our talking points that we wish we could have covered and i think wow. we're going to cover like we're going to cover like eight of them <laughs> Yeah, wow, that's, that's a, a problem Sean and I run into a lot. <laughs> we were like, we make outlines for classes that are ginormous. And then an hour goes by so fast. And we're like, oh, my God, like, I don't know how we thought we could fit all this information in here. Yeah, Agreed. it's tough. That's that sounds like a really cool um, uh, panel, though, like to hear all those different perspectives. And then like the people going can put themselves in whatever shoes and then learn from the other people, even if they don't have that system. That's cool. Going back to um, Kolsch. <laughs> um, so was this, uh, this collaboration with Lowercase, was this something that you and John were just talking about? Or like, how did the collaboration or the, even the idea of brewing a Kolsch together came about? Uh, we've been, we've been working to look into brew with uh, Lowercase for, uh, for quite a bit. Uh, John and I are, are, are buddies and we just uh, we get along well, and um, you 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 know him well enough. He's a he's a super sweet guy and just hilarious as all get up. Uh, so we've been t you know it it always comes up when you see each other kind of in at events and all that. Like oh let's do a brew, but we we wanted to get one in, and this was kind of that time where he had a there there it worked in their cycle that they wanted to get it in. So we kind of we wanted to make something that we haven't. You know, he hasn't brewed too much of. Uh, we've brewed like a couple colches here and there, but um, he, you know, we want to go a little bit out of our comfort zone and um, do something that we're not we're not brewing on a on a really regular basis. So um, you know, we're both brewing lagers and IPAs kind of all the time, and uh, so we kind of split it and just said let's do a little a little hybrid semi lager with uh, with colch yeast, and um, you know, we we were talking about it. 
and you know it worked with his schedule but then when he's i looked at the timing we i think we brewed it in mid-july said oh right right in the middle of fresh hop season huh he's like yep i said <laughs> okay let's let's do it all right let's do this it's uh you know that kolsch is already a a, a super fast uh, sexy high uh, you know fast selling style so listen you know, right, people, right in the middle y'all gonna have a line <laughs> the secondary on this beer no, is gonna be man. out of control yes it should be yeah, so it's like, I guess I'm interested just because Kolsch is a unique style. It's something that Sean and I have talked about in the sense that I feel like there's a decent amount of Kolsch style ales you can find around, but I think it's pretty hard to find a really good one. I think that it's kind of misunderstood both on like the production side and on the drinker side. Um, and unfortunately, I think the the problem I've experienced with like American Kolsch style is sometimes the fruity esters just overpower it a little bit too much to the point where it's like, you're not even getting that like really crisp finish or mouthfeel that you should be from the, you know, extended conditioning. Um, I guess what was your guys's approach onto that? Like, you know, make sure that balance still existed and that it was going to actually lager well and not get that kind of like flabby kind of like meh flavor profile that Kolsch can have. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think Kolsch is a, it's a style that also gets, how do I say it? Uh, it gets, uh, misrepresented a lot. Um, kind of, especially in the, in the United States where, you know, it's not protected by the, um, by the, uh, European Union, um, in terms of like the style, it, the very rigorous procedures that it has to be made. But you know, there, there's there's situations where you come across where people will make a quote unquote lager, and it's just a blonde ale. And I think that also happens with Kolsch's as well. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of my that's my little thing on that. Uh, but you know, and that might be some of those times when you get that uh, that extra fruity note because the Kolsch yeast itself puts out of definitely fruity esters, um, but it's not nothing like kind of a, an ale yeast. Um, maybe like American ale yeast or an English ale yeast. Uh, they're not, a, it, it doesn't put out that much um, in terms of esters. So um, the way that we approached it is, uh, I mean, Kolsch, our approach uh, isn't too much different than um, the way that uh, both lowercase and ourselves approach lagers. Uh, we treat it almost exactly like a lager. And um, the only real difference is the, uh, the yeast that we, that we use. Um, which is obviously a coal strain. And then um, that was one of the really fun things that uh, got John out of his comfort zone is uh, we at Lucky Envelope, uh, we like to use dry yeast a lot. And uh, there's a big stigma. Mm. I, I know there's big stigmas and things against uh, using dry yeast, but um, that's, part of, that's part of one of my things that I'm talking about in, at the at the lager talk. Oh, that's um, cool. But uh, there's a there's really good quality dry yeast out there and john has never really used it before and especially on something like a something so delicate like a kolsch or a lager so um we picked up some fermentus k97 yeast which i've i've used a few times before and uh, it worked out it's it's always worked out really nice it has that nice light fruity characteristic but it also has that that power behind it where it'll attenuate things dry so with that uh kind of with the Kolsch uh, to kind of keep it crisp, to keep it fruity. Uh, we, we like to, we, we pick that yeast. Uh, it's a workhorse and um, I've, I've trusted it and it's always made good quality product. Uh, and then um, just the malt bill that we used, we, uh, I think 
yeah, it was uh, it was pretty much mostly uh, Vireman Pilsner malt, a uh, little bit of. We tried to source some Cologne malt, but because of the pandemic, all the freight, all the all the shipping companies are uh, all Dang backed it. up. Yeah, so uh, we used a little bit of Vienna yeast in the uh, Vienna Vienna malt in there, a oh, uh, cool. little bit little bit of wheat malt in there, and then some carafoam. So um, that was kind of the the base for it. Um, I think traditionally a Kolsch is generally Pilsner malt, probably that 90, 95% range. And mm-hmm. then uh, wheat malt in that five to 10% range. Uh, but I really, there's a, there's a brewery that probably produces my favorite Kolsch ever. And it's actually surprised it's not chucking it. Um, it's Bainbr- <laughs> Bainbridge Island. Um, Russell at Bainbridge makes uh, one of my favorite Kolsches uh, out there. And uh, he told me, he told me before that he uses a little bit of Vienna. So we've been kind of playing around with that in our previous recipes, uh, Vienna slash Cologne malt. And it just adds a, just a little bit of extra oomph in there. Yeah. It's nothing, it's not overpowering, but it's such a delicate beer that it just adds a little bit extra character. So maybe that's the, uh, kind of that American style thing where you want to make it, uh, just go extreme and add an extra, like 3% of Vienna malt instead of, <laughs> instead of Pilsner. <laughs> Um, I love how Americans are just like, they can't help themselves. They're just like, just Pilsner. No, we got to throw something in there. Exactly. Uh, so it, it adds really good character in there. And then um, to kind of get it that, that crisp, uh, that crisp dry nature is, uh, you know, uh, we don't always, I don't think it's absolutely necessary, but um, we like to do that in our beers and uh, lowercase likes to do that with theirs, but we step mash everything. So, you know, we did oh. our, I, if I recall correctly, it was a, like a 140. Uh, no, I think we started at 125 for the protein oh, rest and then then stepped up a little bit, uh, I think to 142 for our, um, I think that's the maltose rest. And then I think we ramped up to 158 and then a mash out. So uh, you kind of do that. And there's a lot of talk out there, like our step mesh is actually absolutely necessary. And, right. you know, uh, but what we, what we like to, what we kind of discuss is, you know, you're covering your bases. Like if something is not to spec, you're just, you're just going through those ranges. Um, and, you know, it might add an extra hour to your, to your brew day. But when you're, when you're doing something like a lager, I mean, what's an extra hour if you're going to be, or, or, <laughs> or course, what's an extra hour when you're going to be letting it sit for two weeks, two to four right. weeks additional in a tank. Uh, I have a question. It might be kind of nerdy, uh, but about the difference between um, dry yeast and, you know, liquid yeast. Can you mm-hmm. talk about that just for folks who may not be familiar, like that there's, yeah. even, a, that there's even a choice? Yeah. I, I don't want to spoil your CBC. This is going to come out after oh, CBC. Yeah. Oh, um, no worries. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask a similar thing. Because I've heard... I'm sorry, Jess, because like the same thing with like home brewers, like people, there's always a stigma against dry yeast. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to hear your perspective on it. Yeah. Um, I think where a lot of that stigma comes from is, and it's not unwarranted from, from back in the day, but when people first started out home brewing, uh, they were using like effectively bread yeast, um, mm. you know, Lalamond, uh, they'll, they actually, they make bread yeast. So if you go to cash and carry, you can get a 500 gram brick of bread yeast for three dollars $3, something like that <laughs> nice. um but they also make uh they also make brewer's yeast uh we use fermentus almost exclusively but lalaman makes good stuff there's there's a lot of manufacturers out there aeb uh good quality yeast um but the you know people like to use liquid yeast because that's I, in my opinion that's what they grow that's how they learn to brew 
um, mm -hmm. by using that. But then back in the day when people were homebrewing initially, when they would get their like, you know, they get their can of malt extract and they get their hops that were like in a, like a little paper bag or something like that. And it looks like you're buying weed off the street. <laughs> um, and then um, they'd give you like a little packet of yeast, which would potentially be brewer's yeast, but you know, we've, we've played around with bread yeast before for like some historic styles. And um, it's, a, it's kind of like this weird Belgian-y thing. So it's just a bread yeast effectively. And um, you know, that puts out some, you know, it'll put out like phenols and all that stuff, but that, and that's where so many people that grew up in the industry that are kind of leading the industry now that are, uh, you know, that have been in the industry 20, 30 years who have taught a lot of the younger, uh, newer generation brewers, you know, the quality of the yeast back then was terrible, but as technology has uh, has increased, I really think that uh, the quality of the yeast has improved, and um, I have not really been able to tell the difference between like you know the USO5, which is just like your Chico Ale 1056 from Y yeast, or your 001 from White Labs, um, your your kind of standard American ale yeast. Uh, USO5 is awesome, um, and then uh, you know the SO4, which is their English strain of yeast, uh, you know, really good quality, but, uh, it, it's significantly more expensive relative, like compared to bread yeast. Um, you know, they undergo significantly more quality control measures and all that, but regard, but even with that, it's still cheaper than your liquid yeast. And, uh, the really cool thing about the, the dry yeast is, uh, you get really good performance. It's very consistent. Um, and you can just keep it in the fridge. You can keep a couple bricks in the fridge and you might have a pitch for, you know, five, 10 batches of beer, uh, for the same cost as a single pitch, pitch of, you know, whatever yeast you're buying that's live. Um, especially with the pandemic, the shipping can be a problem. Um, you know, if FedEx or, uh, or UPS or whoever's sending your overnight stuff, you know, they get backed up or there's bad weather, um, you lose your yeast pitch. Um, you know, the viability, it, it's a ticking, ticking time bomb, uh, from when, uh, from when you, when it leaves the yeast lab effectively. Um, but it's, it's really good quality. Uh, they, their log, the lager yeasts are, are, are freaking kick-ass. I, I, I absolutely love, uh, W3470 from Fermentus. It's my favorite yeast that, uh, kind of ever existed, <laughs> um, but, um, it's, you know, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's cool that to hear like an established Seattle brewery talk about using, um, you know, not liquid dry yeast, because I think people hearing that, and hopefully, you know, that will be so at CBC people, I think there's like, there's obviously a stigma, right? You like become of like, this is how you're supposed to do it. And this mm -hmm. is not how you do it. And especially once you get deep into the industry, you kind of like learn the nuances of what's cool and what's not. So I think it's good for people to hear that. It's like, it's still effective and cost effective. Um, you know, it can chill for a while. You're not dealing with like spoilage issues like you're talking about. So I think that's cool to, to hear you talk about that. Cause I would have never, I mean, I'm not a brewer, so like I don't really know uh, too much about process and yeast health and all that. But I don't know. It's, it's cool to hear that and know that that's like something that it's it's okay. <laughs> you can yeah. use this and it'll be okay. You can still make great beer. And it seems yeah. like yeast is so. I mean, it's important for all beers, obviously, but it's also like the most 
besides water, in my opinion, is like the most mysterious um, in a lot of ways, right? Like even if you yeah. do have your own sort of house yeast that you start to propagate and like reuse and reuse, like that's always changing, right? Um, you can make work, you can make some consistent beers with that, right? Because you can like, you know what's happening with your own your own baby essentially. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Cause like with Kolsch, I think that's a lot of the problems with the, uh, a lot of Kolsch examples, at least American made. Um, I'm sure in Cologne, they are all freaking beautiful. Um, is this, they're supposed to be highly fermented, right? Like they're supposed to be dry as fuck. And yep. that I feel like there's a lot of issues with fermentation that happens. Right. What do, what do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I I don't think it's again like it. I don't think it's very different than uh, the, than a lager um, in terms of, you know, especially with like with cultures, they're similar. Um, the the bitterness levels can vary, but I think people are surprised at actually uh, in in Cologne uh, how bitter and hoppy cultures uh, can be. They're a little bit more. They're not like they're not like a Hellas lager in terms of bitterness. They're right. a little bit more. They have a little more oomph in there, but um, the they're the profile is you, you got it's almost all yeast determined and you got to take care of your yeast you got to take care of your temperature you got to make sure that you have the proper nutrition in there you have to make sure you have the proper levels of oxygen oxygen that's one of the really cool things about dry yeast uh to step back a second is um when they when they dry it they dry it at kind of like that peak uh the peak health of the yeast. So then they put it into a kind of a stasis in the drying process. So mm. actually the first pitch of dry yeast, if you're not going to harvest it, uh, does not require oxygen. Um, so wow. all the sterols in the cell wall are all there ready to go. So it's, it's pretty cool. But um, the, you know, if you don't take care of your yeast, your yeast is not going to be happy. It's gonna, it's going to find other pathways in it's, you know, metabolic system and all that stuff to, you know, it's going to cut certain protein or, you know, yeah, proteins or whatever, um, fatty acids in the wrong places, and then you're gonna get sulfur, or you're gonna, mm -hmm. you're gonna just, it's just, it's it, the way that that works is, um, you just gotta take care of it. You gotta have the proper pitching rates, and um, if you take care of the yeast, then the yeast will make great beer. And um, you know, I think that the challenges of uh, of Kolsch's uh, brewing those, I mean, they're the same challenges that happen when you uh, when you're trying to brew a lager. So. Again, there's nothing to really hide behind, and um, but yeah, dryness is is a really is a really key thing that you need to try to try to get in your beer. I feel like Justin and I have talked about this before, but it's funny because I'm going to admit something, but it was in the past, so I'm okay with admitting it. Um, I I had a disdain for Kolsch. <laughs> I like couldn't handle it. I was like, that this beer is and Jess knows this. I'm just like, Kolsch. It's just like meh. You know, like I'm not gonna go out of my way to pay. I'll be like, oh Kolsch. Can't wait. Uh you got you got a phone call coming in about Kolsch. There it's the police looking for me because I just admitted <laughs> that Kolsch is I thought Kolsch was fucking garbage. Um and it was because I didn't, I don't think I understood it, right? I expected it to be something else. Um, and I probably wasn't having great examples of it. Um, but it's funny, like the more and more you taste them and the more you learn about it, you're like, it's actually me just hating like a very simple, beautiful piece of art, mm -hmm. right? It's like, I'm such an American about it. I'm like, it's like a crisp white shirt button up. You know what I mean? Like, that's what a Kolsch is. You're like, damn, what? That person, like, I might have said this before, so apologies, but like, 
when someone just wears like a really nice button up and you're just like, God, that person looks good, but it's boring, yeah. but it's not because it looks so damn yeah. good. It's, but it's, it's, it's crazy. So anyways, my love of Colchis is, is not, is, is coming. It's here. I should say. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine that a big part of that is just not having good Colch in America. You know, it's just like if the style isn't really done well. And I think it's like it's frustrating to me because I'm like, if you aren't going to pay attention and you aren't going to give it the care it needs, just brew a blonde ale because the blonde ale is the American Colch, essentially. And blonde ales to me are what you're saying, like super boring. I can't remember any blonde ale I've ever had that surprised me or like stimulated <laughs> me in any way. So but Kolsch is different. It is different. And yeah. it is it's that simple yet some complexity in the sense of its process. But uh, yeah, I think it's just like not having good examples in the US is what sucks. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of commercial examples that you can really find. And then when you do find them, they're they're pretty old, but you know, they're, 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 I guess the the benefit of being in Seattle is there are some a lot of establishments that do uh, carry as you know relatively fresh kegs of um, fruit or gaffle, gaffle, Um Those those are like my favorite ones. Uh, they're great, uh, but there's there's I mean there's not a lot of well until recently there's not a lot of uh, there weren't a lot of breweries in the U.S. that like you could kind of calibrate your palate off of, but you know. <laughs> Being in the Pacific Northwest, sorry to interrupt. No, um, there's not. you know obviously we have uh, Chuckanut um, who makes outstanding Kolsch, and then uh, Freem. Like those are the two kind of uh, world class examples that I think are really widely available that you can definitely use to calibrate your palate and figure out what a Kolsch is supposed to be. But kind of like what you said, I don't disagree. But uh, by any means, in terms of Kolsch, is t- uh, Kolsch to me is like it's a it's like a just a slightly fruitier version of a, almost like a Hellas lager, but it's like you said, the crisp white shirt, uh, it's boring, it's forgettable, but when you, when you have it, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like it's, it's a, it's, it's a forgettable beer in the best way uh, because you, you, you're just drinking a lot of it. And if you get like, yeah. you know, that's, that's how they serve it in, 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 in a cologne is you're just drinking from the stanges. So, you know, and they just, just keep tick, bringing just tick, it, right? Tick, 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 tick. Yeah. 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 Little, until little, they're little like, no, thank you. Little yeah, I mean, guys. that sounds yeah. like a dream to be honest. I've never yeah. done, I've never been to Cologne. Um, but that sounds great. Like, I want someone just to keep bringing me beers until I'm like, no more, please. <laughs> like, just continually do it. And, you know, this, when I said I didn't like it, this was in the past. This was like not recently. <laughs> I know you all make good Kolsch. Um, and like, there's other great examples in the Pacific Northwest. Heater Allen makes a really good one, too. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things. And it, it, it's funny because like, as you said a little bit in the past, like just a little bit ago, you were like, it's supposed to be strongly hopped. At least that's what it says in the convention itself. Right. In the Kolsch convention, it's like a top fermented Volbeer that's mm-hmm. strongly hopped, crystal clear, highly fermented. And that's out of order, but something like that. And I'm like highly strongly hopped. I mean, that's like, that's right. funny because like that, I don't know what, what the Kolsch, because I, I'm unfortunately I don't have your Kolsch in front of me. I wish I did. Um, I don't know what the hop level is on that one, but like when I think strongly hopped, I'm like I think IPA, right? Yeah, or pa- pale at least, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're kind of talking about like twenty five, thirty IBUs. <laughs> oh, so cute. 
like again talking just about like uh differences between countries it's like we have an idea of what strongly hopped is versus like this more traditional definition of what culture is supposed to be or supposed to taste like and it's like even just thinking about the types of hops that are used in Kolsch versus what we use in america for a ale um oh what i thought was funny when i was like reading about Kolsch earlier is on this topic of the like continual service you're not really supposed to think about it much you're just drinking it because it's easy to drink and i think you know us in america at least for me I find the style intriguing because of all the reasons we were just talking about. But then if you are like a person in Germany and you see Kolsch, you're just like, okay, Kolsch, whatever. It's like, it has a um, reputation of being like a college kid beverage because you can slam it super fast. And it's just like, it's so funny how like that difference translates, but then also at the same time, Cologne takes their definition of Kolsch so dang seriously. So it's like, there's a level of seriousness. And I think that's just German culture. Um, or just like, you know, wanting the definitions, the right way to do things. These are the guidelines. You must stay in the guidelines, um, versus like our culture in America. Um, but I, that was kind of funny to me. Now the German government is coming after you because <laughs> you're all fucking stereotyping them. They're like, what do you mean? We don't like order. You guys uh, aren't being efficient enough. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for damn sure. If there's anything about Jess and I, we are not efficient when it comes uh. to <laughs> At least me. She is. I'll say it's me. It's me. I'm not. You know, it made me think about this. John was talking about this, and I think he was quoting Ashley Carter from Beerstadt Lagerhaus. Um, talk about Hellas, how Hellas as a style is it crosses, it's like in between being boring and sublime. Mm. It's like this, you know, a, a Hellas can be boring and sublime. And I think Kolsch is kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. We use the term boring, but that's not really the right word. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, and it, it all it depends on where you are, who you're with. Like, I think a lot of that has to do with like how much you're enjoying the beer and like how it's brewed, obviously. But, um, you know, we're, I know we're talking mad shit about being boring, but like maybe it's just simple, you know, like that's why we like it is because it's the simplicity of it is yeah, just, there's, there's a, there's a lot of beauty to be found in simplicity. Right. And Barry, as you were saying, like there's nothing to hide behind, right? Correct. So, you know, even these subtle esters that can come through are like, you have to search for them. If you're, especially if you're, even if you're a trained, you know, drinker, um, it's not like it's like apple pear. Mm-hmm. It's like this, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like a whisper of it. Right. It's, yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. It's little hints of pear and like a little bit of that, like peachy thing, but like, it's just, it's just, it's very fleeting. It's like, it's almost ephemeral. That's a wow. I, that's a bigger word than I'm used to saying. Wow, <laughs> you impressed me. No, yeah, yeah, and I think it's like again, if we're talking about the difference of uh, actual German Kolsch from Cologne versus Kolsch style in America, and how you know maybe that's the difference in drinkers too. Maybe the reason why we don't have good commercial examples of Kolsch is because of like trends in beer in America are so insane. In terms of, you know, if we're if we're talking like eight years ago or more, agro hops to the max. And then now we have crazy shit like pastry stouts or, you know, just wild adjuncts or lactose and milk. I almost said milkshakes in um, IPAs, uh, which like 
if if people brew that and people like it like that's not my place to judge it just is i think shows the difference between what consumers are looking for in america versus uh, other parts of the world that have a much longer brewing tradition than the u.s does Mm -hmm. agreed yeah i mean even with this one um look i mean with the label i don't know Oh, we, backwards, I guess. I don't know. We if, do uh, need to talk about the label. Can I talk about the hops and like about yes. that too? Because we did some weird things with that too. I mean, that yeah. was kind of our the way that we, you know, we, the way that I would have liked to do, brew the beer with John would have been very traditional. You know, we would have just hopped it with German hops. Um, but we want to go a little bit out of our comfort zone too. Um, but uh, we did a really cool. He he threw me in on a blind tasting of uh, one of his beers, and um, he said he he asked me to like define that hop character, and it was uh, he's like, oh yeah, here take taste this, um, let me know what you think about this beer, um, can you define that hop character? What do you think? And I and what I said is it tasted like a New World German style hop, mm-hmm. and then what I what I found out was um, after uh, we went we did that kind of discuss a little bit more was that it was triumph hops so um that's that's a hop that's been released in the u.s i believe it is a public variety and um yeah it just it had it had a lot of that kind of classic continental hop uh german hollertau character but there was like it was a really nice fruity uh fruity character in there i really really dug so that was kind of the first uh, hop that we want to use, which, you know, adding, we added, we added some, um, some, some hops in the whirlpool just to give it some kind of more quote unquote American character. Um, so that was one of those. And then the other one we used was a uh, Grüngeist, uh, which is, uh, that's, uh, something I think we sourced from Hophead Farms over in Michigan. Um, and I know a few breweries around here have uh, used it in some IPAs before, but, uh, again, it's kind of one of those new world German style, um, hops so we want to kind of keep it a little bit classy but put a little swing on the uh on the on the on the style so it's definitely not a an old school you know classic Kolsch there's there's a little bit of a twist on it so what's the um what are the aromatics like right now like how are like now that you're drinking it and you've is this the first wait this is not the first time you've had it out of the can is it uh, first time I've had it out of the can yes um, oh we, so we, what... we got we got the kegs dropped off the other day um uh aside from the dog farts that i'm that i'm smelling uh, <laughs> um, your, your baseline is dog fart <laughs> yeah 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 we have we have we have fillmore who's a he's a 13 year old pit bull and uh, oh i've seen him before yeah he's a he's a gassy boy so um but God the, bless uh, Ar- him. <laughs> yeah he's a fer- he sounds like a ferocious dog and then he's a big wuss yeah, that's a, um, that sounds like a pit bull sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, definitely. Like what we what we want to do is kind of build on that fruitiness uh, without kind of overpowering it. So like it has that, uh, you know, that pear ester. You can kind of get a little bit of that peachiness in there. And I think that the I we've never really used it. I've never used uh, Triumph and Grungeist, especially on the hot side. But uh, I think it accentuates it. There's definitely like this peach, but like a peachy cantaloupey thing um not like not like a cantaloupe thing with um like uh sometimes you can get with uh poor quality hops um Mm. that that happens every once in a while um it's almost like a it's a slightly grassy but more like that ripe cantaloupe thing in there um maybe those like what are those called like those hama hama melons um 
Uh, is that what they're called? Uh, I forget. But I think that the, the Korean melons, they're almost like a cross between a honeydew and a cantaloupe. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So they're really cool. Um, they're like this like little pale yellow, um, not little, but pale yellow melon. Um, that's kind of what I get out of that. And um, that's cool because it's like kind of like a very delicate fruit flavor. Very much like so. Like honeydew yep. is. I mean, melon, yeah. you're, when you're talking about overripe a cantaloupe that gets like, yeah, think you know something Fun. weird's yep. happening. But like a fresh, like almost not ripe sort of, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's almost there. So because of that grassiness, I think that's really cool yeah. to have in a kolsch. Melon as a fruit is so misrepresented often. I don't think a lot of Americans have ever had like a fresh cantaloupe or honeydew because you just always get it in those nasty fruit salads from like Safeway <laughs> or some shit. And it's just like so mealy and and yeah. weird and moist because it's just been like sitting with other fruit and it's like it's so moist <laughs> if we had better access if the, if the general american had better access to good melon i think we'd all be happier people yeah, yeah. i don't disagree with that yeah the um the graininess from the um the malt bill comes through too um cool. that's the uh yeah so the, the, the hop character kind of works really well with the aromatics of the yeast that it puts out but there's a there's a really cool character out there where it's like it's almost like it's almost rich crackery, but like not with not without that artificial sweetness thing that mm-hmm. you sometimes get out mm-hmm. of it. Cool. Um, yeah. So it's like it's like biscuity with like a touch of sweetness, and at least I tell myself it comes from the that, that Vienna malt. But uh, definitely, there's there's a there's a there's a little charge of that wheat, which kind of builds upon that as well to add to the add to it. But um, yeah, I think the. I, th- I think the hops round it out a little bit so it doesn't appear as dry as it might mm. um, normally. But I, I'm really, really digging it. It's a, it's a great beer. Yeah, man, I can't wait to try it. Um, I'm hoping to make it down to lowercase on Sunday when mm-hmm. they're having a little shindig. Um, but yeah, so one of the things, too, I just wanted to mention about this beer that I thought was really fun because the first time I ever went back into your brewery at Lucky Envelope, the first thing I noticed was the Mario 64 stickers or magnets <laughs> that are on the tanks back there. And I was like, all right, I like these people a lot. Um, and so the fact that I felt like, and I don't know if this was your idea or John's idea or their designer, but um, the fact that it is like that pixelated um, old school video game, Mario adjacent um, imagery, I think is super fun. I think that's like a great ode to you. Um, and then it's like you and John as little dudes on it. Is it looks right? like yeah. you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's um, it was it was really cool. Um, I I I had some input on it, but uh, John and uh, Jacob at Lowercase, he does other designs. Um, he he crushed it. Um, I don't th- think yeah, I don't think John knew how how much of a Final Fantasy, uh, video game nerd. I am, but um, <laughs> yeah, that, that that that's like the defining video game series. Like I've grown up with, like since I was little. Um, I think uh, there's what sixteen mainline uh, versions, like oh, uh, yeah. like sequence sequels of Final Fantasy, and I've I think I've played, I've beaten every every one but three of them, and two of them were online only. So there's like one I haven't beaten yet. So yeah. oh, fifteen, I guess there's sixteen. It's fifteen out. MMO. But, uh no, fourteen and eleven oh, okay. were MMO. Fourteen's is the one that's like going really strong right now. That's what so, my husband's uh, playing right now. I was yeah. like, how random Final Fantasy fourteen. Um yeah, yep. it's like the label on here where it's like brew, magic, drink. It's like that yep. turn-based mechanic. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. It's so much fun. I love yeah. the spooky hop goblin. Spooky oh, hop yeah, ghost. that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I when um we were kind of discussing the label that John kind of wanted to make it like a little video game theme or whatever. And, uh, you know, so we were kind of brainstorming, like, I like, do we want to make it look like a Nintendo power cover, uh, old school thing? Or what I wanted to do was, uh, there's a, there's a couple, there's a video game series that came out for the NES. I think it was called wizards and warriors. And, uh, Fabio was actually, he was like the guy on the cover holding a sword oh there. My God. And I, I wanted, I wanted John and I to like both pose for that, but <laughs> it went, it, that didn't go anywhere, obviously. So, um, but you know, so we like, cause we, there's the fun, uh, some really fun things, but then, um, they chose the, uh, kind of, uh, role-playing game, uh, NES style graphics. And then when, when that happened and he showed me the label, I was, I was smiling for like three or four hours and I kept texting it. Like, it's so cool. So, um, yeah. And then there's this really fun, um, under, on the bottom of the can, uh, on the date label. Yeah. On there. Uh, can you, well, it's all backwards, but it was, it was literally a conversation. Like if you look at the pixelated character of me, um, I have like my pink, uh, Hellas, yeah, shirt on, and then yeah. he's like, "Oh man, th- it looks like you have uh, you have giant shoulder pads uh, <laughs> there." And I said, uh, "No, no, John, actually, they're called pauldrons." <laughs> and he just he just he just laughed really hard, and then that 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 made it that conversation made it onto the bottom of the I, can, so that was kind of funny. I just like how much it looks like you, even though it's like so pix- <laughs> so pixelated and like yeah. doesn't have any definition. You're like, yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> And it was pretty funny. I had a friend that said, uh, "Oh yeah, they even added an extra pixel for your for your COVID hair." And I said, "No, if you count it, <laughs> if you if you count it, it's four pixels. You need four pixels to encapsulate my glorious, gross <laughs> pandemic hair." Listen, you're all there's a lot of pandemic hair happening. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. Just I I'm super excited for this beer again. I haven't tried it yet, but I am. And just like for all these reasons we're talking about, it's got like super fun label art. That's like an ode to you and then um and also just great design but then also like this american twist on kolsch style and a collaboration which everyone loves so lots of fun stuff going on i'm pretty excited to i mean it. the two of you as breweries are awesome too like um you know john's not here but we'll talk to him and john's like just like the sweetest man on earth <laughs> and i would throw you in there as being one of the sweetest men on earth as well. You don't um, know me that well, do you? I guess not. <laughs> Oops. I guess I don't know John that well either. There's some yeah. dark side to you guys, but like, mm, you know, yeah, just like yeah. good guys who make good beer. And it's like, you know, yeah. I, I know that. that sh- a- no, go uh, on. I'm just that terrible person that waves at you when you're picking up your kids from the co-op preschool down the street. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you do. <laughs> At least you wave. I mean, there's a lot of like, uh, Seattle people who won't wave back. Yeah. <laughs> no, no eye contact. I just have one idea. If you guys do another collab, can you do, can it be called, I can't believe it's not Kolsch? And then you could have Fabio. You could be Fabio <laughs> on it. And it's not a Kolsch. It's really oh, confusing man. for everyone, but you both oh. are like, I could, hair. I could hold out for a little bit longer and uh, grow my hair out and just get the, get, get yes, it like all flattened. And yep. Oh, you did like a, like a, like a stallion with your <laughs> oh yeah totally oh like then you can get your white uh white button-up shirt except it'll just be unbuttoned like three quarters of the way down yes see all right. it, it, it all yes. comes full circle it sure does okay let's do it let's do it i give you i mean it has to happen 
Barry, thank you so much for joining us and talking about Kolsch and giving us some insight about like ingredients and process and all that good stuff. It's It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks for having me, Jess and Shauna. Yes. Thank yeah. You. And we'll need to run out and get your Kolsch soon. And yeah. maybe, um, are you going to be at Lowercase on Sunday? Yes. Um, I cool. plan on being there uh, probably earlier, uh, earlier in the day, kind of when the whole thing starts. Um, That's usually yeah. me and Shauna's strategy for every yep. event. Is yes. Just yeah. get there early so you can leave early. Yes. Yeah. We're just like old women, but it's also just the time of what's happening right now in the world. I'm just like, uh, I'd like to be not, I like, I love being around people. Like that's my general sort of thing. Like I'm a extrovert. Yeah. I like being around, but I also don't like getting sick. So, um, it's kind of been a hard sort of balance, but yeah, yeah. showing up early when no one's there, except for the people you want to see. Yep. Exactly. That's, that's what I like to do. And doing the old Irish exit is what I call it. Yep. <laughs> you don't say goodbye to anyone. You just kind of. No. Fade away. <laughs> it's fine because usually you leave first, and then I'm like, oh yeah, Shauna had to take off. You know, she's got the baby yeah, at you're... home. Like, <laughs> kids go. are a great excuse. Yep. Oh, totally. That, I, he uh, knows. That, that's my best excuse. <laughs> you I got this old farting dog and some kids I gotta deal with. No, they might suffocate at the house from from dog fart poisoning. It's a legit concern. Yep. <laughs> That was a Titan cast episode.